This is a podcast from Minute Media. In the fall each year we all congregate The mouth all gathered at the church of Hilgate The scriptures reading from the book of Monson Our favorite verse, my God, a freshman Drunk and obnoxious, what children face Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday in that band Welcome to the Saturday Nathans podcast. We're a Georgia Bulldogs show by dogs fans for dogs fans. I'm your host, Herschel Gurley, joined as always by my co-host, Boss Dog. Boss, bark it to people. What's up, everybody? It's been a really long time since we threw out an episode at y'all, so we got tons to catch up on. Yeah. Well, first off, let's just start with it is, I think as of today, as of our taping, it's 103 days until kick in Atlanta, which means it's like 130 plus days since the dogs won the title. So we're closer to kick from a proximity perspective than we are to dogs last game. So that's good because it means football season is coming. And we talked about this a little bit off air, but I'm starting to turn the corner of getting excited again. I think I've just been basking in the glow of the national title for the last three plus months, but now I'm like starting to be forward looking and I think it's a couple factors that that switch that into gear. One is the spring game kind of got me turning, like seeing them play and kind of starting to, you know, pollinate on what the version of the team's going to look like this year and all those type things and kind of how this season will unfold. But then also last week kicked it up a notch with the Coach Saban and Jimbo Fisher drama that exploded the college football world which I do want to get your take on real quick. I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but here's my thing. Nothing that Saban said was wrong, right? Like everything he said was accurate. Like Texas A&M has been essentially a middling program. And then they just reel off the number one recruiting class in the country. The same year, the NIL becomes very active. And like, we're not supposed to raise a couple eyebrows at that. Like, I think that's a valid point, right? I, we did talk about this, though. He doesn't do anything by happenstance. So it struck me as very odd that he specifically called out Texas A&M, who they lost to last year, Jimbo Fisher, his former assistant. I, I just all that was very interesting to me. So on that side of the, the ledger. And then, dude, Jimbo's presser, I mean, they should have put that thing on pay-per-view. I'm being... He was just straight off the cuff, which I think it was just very Jimbo. He seems to be, I don't know. He just strikes me as he just ain't really my cup of tea. And that's kind of what the press conference was like. I thought he would have come off a lot better if he had just come out and essentially said, you know, this is a non-issue. We do everything right here. We're worried about what's happening in the Texas A&M football program. And we're not concerned with what's going on outside of that. We feel great about what we do here and we do everything right. And we are excited about the kids that are coming to play here. And instead, <laughs> it turns into him just, I mean, it was like the airing of the grievances episode, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, what were your thoughts on it? Well, before I go into that, I cannot wait for the post game handshake. What 
about the pregame handshake. Like, well, I don't think there's going to be one, to be honest. I really yeah. don't. I, I don't know. either. Well, how about the pregame media availabilities, like pre-week, like that practice week? <laughs> oh, uh, Wait, did you want? So hold on. I know I tweeted this. But we have to talk about it. I said that I can't wait for SEC SummerSlam and that Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler <laughs> need to announce. Dude, if the SEC had any hype machine behind them, they would switch the order of the press conferences and have Jimbo and Nick go on the same day. I think they're like two days apart, but that is going to be a spicy week. <laughs> yes. yes, it is. I'm kind of with you. I really feel like that Jimbo escalated this way more than it needed to be. What Nick said was completely accurate, and he was saying it to donors and to boosters and basically saying, in a nutshell, if we are going to keep up, fork over the money. Yeah, exactly. And basically pointing out at what Texas A&M did this. Yep. So he was using Texas A&M as an example for why I need money. Sorry. I mean, that's the sign of a good coach. Jimbo took that as we're cheating, you know, cheating, which kind of raises a red flag to me that maybe there's something kind of behind the scenes that maybe is going on that's not within the nil guidelines yeah honestly yeah i thought it was a very strong response and in all honesty i think it was very much jimbo unfiltered like i think that's who he is i think that was a glimpse into oh yeah that's who he really is i don't know i the stuff i've seen on him like when they were doing behind the scenes shows and stuff with uh florida state um like you know showtime did a show with them one season I just, he never came off real great to me. And I didn't think he came off real great in that press conference either. I know a lot of people like loved him. We're like, oh yeah, but it's, it's the same thing, man. People just liked it because he was taking shots at Saban and people hate a winner. So in turn, most people hate Saban for no other reason other than he beats everybody's ass. Right. So there was a lot of that. I feel like from the response, like, oh, Jimbo was the winner in this whole thing. And I'm like, but was he, for me, it just, King stays Kings and he just still is in the courtyard. You know what I mean? Like that's what it felt like to me. It's not going to matter if win on the field this fall or yeah. if Texas A&M does not make huge strides on the field after this huge storm that came up this off season, then this is going to blow up in their face. Not well, just Jimbo's face, whole administration. Here's the thing. The amount of money they're, paying him. they're getting a lot of juice preseason. Like I've seen them top 10, top 12, a lot of different places. I'm going to go back to the same question that I ask you seemingly every year about Texas A&M. Who, who am I supposed to be scared of and how are they going to score points? I mean, who's playing quarterback? A transfer. They lost their best weapon on best weapon on offense. He's playing in the NFL this year. I just there's nothing about that offense that I go, whoo, boy, I don't play them. And that's the same, that's the same thing I told you when we were previewing the game in whatever it was, 2019, 2020. Yeah. yeah. Who scares you on that team? Nobody. So I, I don't know. That's kind of how I feel about it. And I also thought, which you would expect, Nick goes on the air. Coach Saban goes on the air next day on XM and it's like, hey, look, shouldn't have, shouldn't have come out that way. It's my fault. Which 
he's right. It, I, I think he created the problem. So I thought he was good to be accountable about it. I, I think the whole side story of this that I can't wait to see fleshed out more is kind of the side beef with him and Dion. <laughs> Dion needs to just step back. Nobody in their right mind realistically believes that there's not an, an ideal in place for Travis Hunter to go play there. Well, I think that came out this week that there were at least two that are of record. When I say of record have been confirmed that are worth 250,000. Now I think the million was probably off the mark, but dude, 250,000 ain't nothing to sneeze at. But Dion is acting like that. That's not the case or was until this past week, like his tweet after Saban made his comments or we're going to have to have a talk or something like that because we didn't do X, Y, and Z. Well, or and this, this was not in place. This is the thing, too, going back to your point about Jimbo. So what if he did go there for a million dollars? That's the rules now. If he got an NIL yeah. deal for a million dollars, so be it. I mean, I think, I think to me, the big thing why he, why he, poked this yes it's about getting donor money so that they can stay relevant but i think more importantly he's been very upfront over the last five to eight years about things in the game whether it's actual on-field play or the actual ecosystem of the college football space that he doesn't particularly like where it's headed like dude it was no different with like zone reads and no huddle offense he's like oh i don't like this because I want to play defense and I want to slow the clock down. And so he went out and essentially said, I don't like it. And then when nothing changed, he's like, well, screw it. I'll just run a no huddle offense and beat your asses that way. I mean, right. That's what, that was the progression. Yeah. And so, so I think this is that attempt to go, Hey guys, we're about to go off the rails here. And if y'all are okay with taking this train off the tracks, I'll be the conductor. <laughs> and I'll take this some bitch all the way from Tuscaloosa to California. But just know I gave y'all the opportunity to pump the brakes on this. I mean, that, that's well, how I took it. I also think that part of it is by him bringing in the public spaces, he's also talking to the, um, the state legislatures because with the state guidelines being so different per state, each school within their state has different guidelines. 100%. Yes. Because I think that he's also talking to the state legislatures. Well, let's be serious. He is the governor of Alabama. Yes, he is. There's no that was just that was just a campaign speech. <laughs> so I think that there's there's real talk there being like, hey, you know, by talking to these donors, because a lot of them put money out to everyone in the in the politicians out there to be like, hey, you know, I'm influencing you to influence them to, hey, they need to put these through. So, so we can be on a level playing field. So, and it's not like that everyone else isn't doing it behind closed doors as well. It's just, Saban is such a public figure because he's the goat. Yeah. All right. So let's pivot this conversation to the Georgia lens. The interesting part about this is you've got these two SEC West I don't want to use the word powers because I'm not going to say Texas A&M is a power, but let's just say influential universities and their head coaches kind of having this big public tiff. And then you've got head coach Kirby Paul Smart and national champion Georgia Bulldogs just kind of sitting there 
preparing for their official visits in the upcoming weeks, right? Like unscathed by any of this conversation, which is beautiful. And I think that is the contrast now is that, and some people have said this and I, maybe this is true because he is a competitor. It's like, you know, Nick's, Nick feels like he's in a corner now because he lost the recruiting battle and he lost the national championship. So he's mad. Nah, I don't know, man. I don't know if I buy all that. I don't think he's an emotional actor. I just, I don't, I don't see that. Like what in his history has said that he's an emotional actor that way. I just, I think that's, that's kind of a BS narrative, but the flip side of that is Georgia certainly is not the corner dog anymore. They are the top dog. And I think that is going to be for me, the most interesting storyline as we cascade toward the opener in Atlanta is how does Georgia transition from the program on the rise, trying to get to the mountaintop to getting to the mountaintop, ascending to the mountaintop, and then ascending to a new mountaintop, right? Because that's a whole different climb because now you're in a different altitude. So, I mean, I'm very, very interested to see what the urgency looks like this year what the attitude is. I felt real good about Coach Smart coming out of the spring and saying that one of the things he was most pleased with was the emergence of leadership within the team because that's something you worry about when you got 15 guys leave for the NFL, including some very vocal locker room leaders. But don't you think that has got to be one of the with a bullet storylines as we go into this 2022 season? I do. But with this team and with this coaching staff, mainly with this coaching staff, I feel like that it's going to stay status quo for the most. I think there are going to be hiccups along the way. And by hiccups, I don't mean losses. But I think each year, we talked about this going into last year, who were going to be the leaders on the team. Because each year lose a chunk of leaders. Now, not like this year, but each year you lose a chunk. We talked about it going into last year. Who were going to be the leaders on this team? And then you you knew it week one. You could see it week one. I feel like going into Atlanta, we're going to see it week one who these leaders are going to be. So I'm not as worried about it. Now, am I saying today that George is going to repeat as national champions? No, that's not what I'm saying. This team has lost so much. And how are these young guys going to step up? But I'm really not as worried about Georgia – ascending to the mountaintop again, I think George is going to be in that contention for the foreseeable future. I don't think that we're going to fall off. I don't see us not being in the SEC championship for the foreseeable future. I, I can't think of a way that we fall off, that, at least that pedestal. And by that being an SEC championship, puts us right in the thick for the playoffs. So David Pollock, I thought, made some interesting comments this week. He was asked about what his thoughts were on the 2022 version of Georgia's defense and how they would compare to last year's team. And he said they will give up double the amount of points per game that they gave up last year. And it kind of got blown up. It was in a bunch of articles and, and X, Y, and Z. But I can't say that I disagree with him. I mean, would it surprise you if they were giving up 18 to 20 points a game? It wouldn't surprise me. I think this team is going to have a very different personality than last year's team did. I think there's going to be a lot more of 
a foot on the offensive accelerator than there was last year. That's my gut, anyways. If it was any other defense doubling the points, that would bother me. But when you average giving up, what was it, 11 points a game in the regular season? You yeah. know, take out the, in the regular season, you take out the SEC championship. It was historic until the SEC championship. So that going to 18 to 20 points a game, you put our offense, I don't think our offense is really going to have much of a drop off. We're still undefeated going into the SEC championship game. I, I'm perfectly fine with that. Now, there might be a couple of games there that are going to be a little bit more. We might not be sweat-free in the third quarter like we were every single game in the regular season. But, I mean, that's okay, too. I think that that would have helped, that help would have helped us a little bit more in the SEC championship game if we would have had a game that was actually in contention in the second half. Yeah, I just think it's going to be a different year. I think that the opener is going to be a good – thermostat for where things sit as the season progresses because in a lot of ways that may be the most talented roster they play all regular season i mean maybe tennessee maybe but tennessee's a home game so that's kind of a different variable and we've talked about this a bunch already during the offseason but that schedule it ain't a heavyweight schedule i mean and look the college football season ebbs and flows and maybe somebody rockets up and they end up having a big game at some point. Maybe Florida surprises everybody and is good or same with Auburn, but I don't know. I don't really foresee those things happening. The Tennessee thing may come to fruition. Maybe they're good. Shoot. Maybe Mississippi state is good. And the Starkville game becomes some kind of matchup. But for me, it will be absent some kind of rash of injuries. It will be a disappointment if they are not, well, not a disappointment. I ever, I hate to say that, because I hate to have expectations, but I will be surprised given their talent level and the strength of the schedule if they are not undefeated and headed back to Atlanta to play Alabama in the SC title. I mean, that's my that's what I expect to happen. Because yes, they lost a lot, but they bring back a lot too, talent-wise. And the cupboard was a lot fuller than the other programs they're going up against. Fair, not fair. Definitely sure. I think that Georgia has the point to where, thanks to Kirby and the staff's recruiting, that it is finally fully reload each year. No matter yeah. who, it's just fully reload. And then that's, I'm not saying that everybody's going to be plug and replace because you can't just replace a Jordan Davis. You can't just replace a Nakobe. But when you sometimes can replace them with two players, and there's enough enough depth on the roster to do that one other thing i'm interested in and we've talked about this a little bit but it's it started to pique my interest a little bit after the spring game based on what i said earlier that i think the mo for this year's team is going to be more foot down on the offensive gas pedal that inherently means that stetson bennett has to be the driver of the car and so How does he look as he shifts from the guy who is focusing on not making the big mistake, which I think was talked about a lot last year. I'm not going to go be a gunslinger. I'm not going to make the big mistake. We're going to let the defense keep it, keep us in it. And we are going to score the points we need to score, but we're not going to be creating things and thus making bad decisions. I'm very interested to see how that pivot looks when he is the guy leading the unit that returns all the experience and is expected to carry more of the load. 
And maybe it's no different, right? Maybe it's just like it was in the Orange Bowl and the second half of the national title game. Because, I mean, I think in the Orange Bowl, that's kind of what they were. I would say the offense drove that bus more than the defense did that night to start the game anyways. What did he throw for 311 that night, 315? Yeah. Let's, talk, let's be realistic. I mean, Stetson would have had a lot more gaudy stats if we wouldn't have went in shell pretty much from seven minutes on in the third quarter every single game. Absolutely. It, like, couldn't have thrown for 307 games, eight games during the yeah. season, regular season. But every single game, when you're up by three, four scores, you don't need to. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to, to that point. I think he thrives with a little bit of chip on his shoulder. And you can't tell me it's not bothering him that coming back after winning the national title, I mean, literally nobody is talking about him as an impact player. You see all these top 20 lists for returning quarterbacks. He's not on the list, which that's a little ridiculous, if we're being honest. I haven't even seen him in the top 30 of a list. Yeah, it's crazy, dude. I mean, he, he just gets zero respect nationally from, you know, the pundit class, I guess you could say. And probably a portion of the Georgia fan base for that matter. Still, I mean, you got to feel bad for the kid because anytime he makes a bad play or has a bad drive or a bad quarter, there's going to be that portion of the fan base that's going to hang him out to dry and want him replaced. Yeah. Yeah, that's 100% true. No matter yeah, what, he's never going to be good enough, no matter what he does. He could come back this season, put up 4,500 yards, throw 40 touchdowns, be in the Heisman ceremony, and if Georgia doesn't win the national championship, it'd be like, oh, Carson should have started, or Brock yeah. should have started. It, it, there'd be nothing good enough. He could have the exact same season that Bryce did last year, have the same result that Bryce did, losing the national championship game, and it should have been someone else should have started. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's almost got an impossible standard to live up to, um, which, fair or unfair, I mean, it, it, it's just become his cross to bear, I guess. I mean, look, he won a national title, which should be like the ultimate end-all, be-all, shut your mouth. <laughs> but it's not. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really rooting for him. I love an underdog, and I, I hope he just comes out and tears it up. And he, I, the, the offensive weapons will be in place for him to do that if everyone can stay healthy. I mean – we have texted about this. If healthy, they will have more offensive weapons this year than they had last year, and I don't know that it will be close. Healthy Karras, healthy Arik Gilbert, healthy Darnell, Brow Brock Bowers back. Oscar Delp looked fantastic in the spring game. You got hopefully uh, Dominic Blaylock back healthy, who didn't really play, and you know who I'm fixing to. Mentioned next, fastest man in college football, Arian Smith, healthy? Get out of here. I mean, come on, man. Like, they could be explosive. And, and you did mention probably the best returning wide receiver on the team. Who, Ladd McConkey? No, A.D. Mitchell. Oh, A.D. Mitchell. I mean, dude, there's there's a lot. There, that's what I'm saying. They have a ton of weapons coming back. Um. And a stable of running backs. Let's not forget those guys. They're pretty good, too. Oh, yeah. Boy, your boy is so freaking excited to see Kenny McIntosh. Like, look, don't get it twisted. I love Kendall Milton. But you know I've been on the Kenny bus for a long, long time. 
I just think he's going to have a huge year if given the opportunity. And lest, lest we forget, which you always remind me in our text exchange, they're going to have a good chunk of the offensive line back that was the starting five in the national championship game. Yep. So, so like, we should be excited about that too. Yep. We're replacing, and in my opinion, we're replacing the weak, weakest parts of the offensive line last season. Correct. Well, well, let's 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 caveat that a little bit. Weak in the we're not saying Jamar Salyu was weak. What we're no, saying no. is the guard play was weak. The guard play was weak. The guard play Correct. was weak. The guards in the five man units, we talk about this all the time that it's a unit play. The guard play was the weakest part of the line. Both tackles and center were solid 95% of the season. The guard play was the weakest part of the line last year. So, and spring game really looked promising. Willick looked great. And if Tate comes back healthy, I think it's Tate's spot to lose if he comes back healthy. Now, granted, I don't think Tate's going to be re- ready for the re- beginning of the regular season. That's a tough injury to come back from. So I'm really curious to see who's going to start at right guard. But I think, I really think Willick's got a spot locked down. I really hope that Mims, after going through that Florida State issue and him deciding to stay, can lock down one of the other spots and be the swing tackle or just be the swing tackle. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the good thing is, is they got a great base. And I feel like I say this a thousand times, but let's all just hope for health, right? Like you yeah. want everybody to stay healthy. Um, and I feel like for the most part at the important spots last year, they were healthy. I mean, they, they missed guys, and that's where the depth came into play. But, you know, another injury that I feel like nobody's talking about that I think is important, and I'm interested to see how it plays out as we go into fall, is Tyke Smith. Yeah. Because if he's healthy, I mean, that's pretty – I think he probably will start at star. That, that's what you would hope. I mean, I, I am a little – I'd love to know a little bit more depth about his situation because even before his injury, all the – scuttlebutt was that he was running neck and neck if not a little bit behind Breeny as the star to open the season so you know I wonder if that transition from the big 12 was a bigger jump than we gave it credit for or if that was all just fodder and you know he was going to be the guy I don't know we'll see but it would be nice to have him as a healthy option in that rotation, given that that is going to be a thinner area as it pertains to the depth chart. I mean, they're going to be young in that space, especially if Chris Smith gets hurt. So, yeah. So I I think that's something to watch. Um, Well, we haven't talked since the draft, so I think we need to talk about that. And we posted a graphic on social media that it was going to be Dogs Vegas Nevada. And it damn sure was. Um, I, 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 can't even, I can't even have this conversation with you without starting with how in the world did Horn Lake's favorite son, N'Kobe Dean, drop into the third round. I, I will never understand it. Well, you texted it. It's the most NFL thing ever. Ever. It's just them looking at measurables and forgetting that at the end of the day, when you put the pads on, it's how do you play the game? Yeah. Yeah, man. I think, I think really it was a measurables thing. And I think this whole, whatever 
phantom report about him having some injury or whatever was what the GMs used to justify. We're not going to take it. When in reality it was, Oh, we're just scared that he's almost five ten or almost six foot yeah. or whatever. But like, how do you turn his film on and not go? Oh yeah. We're going to take this guy. And that dude, that doesn't even, that doesn't even account for if he was my first round pick that he's also going to be the ambassador for my organization, <laughs> which could you carve out a better ambassador? He'll end up being the Eagles representative on, for the NFLPA. Yes, I, I 100% agree. But I will say this. I love how things fell, not just in Philly, but in Green Bay. The fact that Devontae and Quay will be together and they'll be with Eric Stokes. And the fact that in Philly, Jordan and Nicobe will be there together. And I'll tell you this. I'm happier about that more for Jordan than I am for Nicobe. Because the thing that's made me nervous about Jordan, I love Jordan and I want his legacy to be as big and beautiful as he is. And I was nervous that if he got into a pro setting where they're not as hands-on and it's you're kind of left to your own devices, that he would balloon back up to 380, 385 and not produce like he's capable of producing. I don't think Nicobe's going to let that happen. I think there's an accountability structure there with them as buddies and as former teammates that will help Jordan flourish. So I'm real happy about that. So I hope that all plays out. I think the best spot structure-wise and landing spot-wise, maybe not production-wise, but was George falling to Pittsburgh, going to Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because he needs discipline and someone to, you know, get in his face if he does something stupid. And yeah. I can – Tomlin's not afraid to do that. You know, the only thing that is tough about that spot, and you brought it up because of the production standpoint. Yeah. They got no quarterback. Yeah, they got no quarterback. This year, I mean, you know, we're going to be with Mitch. So, who knows? I mean, I I don't hate Mitch Trubisky as much as the rest of the league does. He was just – he was never going to live up to being the second or third overall pick, whatever he was. But he's not terrible. He's a – Let's be serious. Quarterback. Chicago's where quarterbacks go to die. And let's be realistic. It's not like Ben was great last year. No, he, he wasn't. But I, I think you bring up a good point. That's a good football culture, like good fan base. But from a national storyline perspective, small market. Yep. So he's not going to have these big, you know, huge New York or L.A. lights on him. And I think that's kind of a good thing as he progresses back from the injury. Um, and dude, out of everyone that was drafted, he could be the one that rises to prominence the quickest because I think he's got the flashiest talent out of every Georgia player that was drafted. I mean, that'll all remain to be seen, but dude, I, I, t- I texted you that I rewatched the title game a couple weeks ago. And what did I text you? Why am I nervous? <laughs> <laughs> but dude, that catch he made in that game. I rewound and watched like five times. I mean, he, there's maybe five guys make that catch, you know? And I, I, that's a great point. I, I think that was a really, really good landing spot for him. I was also happy to see that rave reviews out of rookie minicamp for Trayvon Walker, which no surprise. I feel like he, he got un, unduly criticized for being the number one pick. Cause everybody's like, oh, you can't pick somebody number one without these, you know, production monikers throughout their, college career and blah 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 i mean who cares like that kid is a stud and world-class kid too so 
I think that's a great spot. Plus Tyson's there. Yeah. I just like that. They're all in spots where they've got some familiarity. So I thought they all landed in pretty good spots. Jamari to LA. That surprised me that he fell to six. Me too. Me too. Me too. How do you put the tape that he put out for what? Four, three years at left tackle. Was it three years at left tackle? Two, two, two years at left tackle. And then the national championship game at guard. And then the senior bowl. How do you put out the tape that he did? And now he's going to be a guard of the NFL, but how do you put out the tape that he did knowing that he can handle the edge if needed, handle the, the speed guys and not get drafted in, you know, higher than six rounds. Well, 100% you're right. And if not for Nakobe's fall, his fall would have been the story for me. No chance. I would have told you he would have gotten to the sixth round. I bonkers. How about Jake going to the fourth round? Can we talk about that. Yeah. That, that probably the, I think that was, that's up there with the surprise of the draft. Like, I mean, because everybody was talking about the kid from, um, what, San Diego State? Air, Air yeah. yeah, the one that does both. Yeah. The, the, what do they call him? Punt God or whatever? Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, again, the kid's amazing. Like, I've never seen – I watched a couple of their games this past year um, when we were doing our picks when we had, were picking their games. Yeah. Yeah, and, I yeah. mean, he's got some crazy backspin on it. Um, but I, the fact that he, Jake was picked before him was impressive. But then you go in the fact that it was the fourth round. But, I mean, I guess you think about it, it's uh, – what was it? The Bengals uh, with McPherson? I mean, specialists aren't – they're players too. So Yeah. Yeah, 100%. No, I, I, I'm not bemoaning the pick or anything. I just – I always feel like from a value perspective, if you're a GM, could they not have gotten him in the fifth <laughs> or the sixth? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe they couldn't have. I don't know. But it also could just be, hey, look, we need somebody to flip fields for us. We feel like this kid can flip fields better than anybody on the market or in the draft, and we're going to take him right now. We want him. We're going to take him. So I'm cool with that too. But, yeah. I will say who I, if I had to pick a dog that has a shot at rookie of the year that's here, though, if I'm, I'm going to pick one on offense and one on defense. Offense, this is based off of production, not best landing spot, whatever. Offense, James Cook. Yeah. Because I think he's just – Built for that offense, 100%. 100%. Defense, I think Lewis. I really think – because I because Harrison Smith cannot stay healthy. I don't think Lewis is going to start the season. But I would not be surprised you see him start by week three or four because he's going to back up Harrison Smith to start off the season. and Or he may start it free. They may start him at free with Harrison at strong. But Harrison gets hurt almost every season lately. That's why they draft Lewis. So he's going to be Harrison's replacement. Um, once Harrison gets hurt, He's going to take that spot, and I wouldn't be surprised if he, Harrison gets it back, never gets it back. I think he is going to force himself into that lineup, health of Harrison Smith or not, because that was the other thing of watching the TV copy of the national title game. Boy, was he noticeable. Like, I know he won defensive MVP, so like, duh, but at, at the game, it wasn't like that. Like it wasn't, you weren't seeing him like, like, dude, I was watching the TV copy and I was going, I mean, he's everywhere. He was everywhere. And that was against, I think, as close as you're going to see to an NFL product in an Alabama roster. I mean, uh, so yeah, I, that's a, that's a good pull. And that was kind of a forgotten thing, right? First round pick. Yeah. 
I mean, he helped himself a ton during the combine, and I think his tape solidified all that. But, boy, just a smart, savvy player, too, and I think that really gets discounted. And I think that's what's going to kind of turn the tide for him from our early playing time perspective is not just his physical talents, but his mental agility. Like, I think he will put himself in a really, really good position. Plus, man, he's going to play on turf half his games. It's a fast surface. Like, that's a that's a nice spot. Um, okay, last couple things. Uh, we're going to shift gears a little bit. UJ baseball season just ended regular season. SEC tournament starts tomorrow morning. Tomorrow's Tuesday. We're taping on a Monday. I would say a little bit of um, end of season with a whimper. They just have seemed to have a hard time finding their offensive footing. Um, Obviously, two have had some injury hiccups within the pitching staff. But, you know, for a a long time, they were pretty much a lock to host a regional. And that is very much up in the air now. And so, like, where's your gut at on that? Like, you see them making a little run and hosting a regional after the SC tournament? Or are you kind of like, oh, I don't know? I really surprised if they host a regional unless they make a run in the tournament. And the main reason is, is I don't feel that the national perspective of Georgia is very high right now. Yeah. I feel like it is not just the local, like the local perspective of Georgia is the worst I've seen it since I've been a fan of Georgia baseball, but the national perspective of the Georgia baseball program is, is not very high. I've actually seen a couple of people like in the national media, actually thinking that this may be it for Strickland or maybe he gets one more shot because he's always got such a talented roster. And obviously the 2020 season was an anomaly because uh, or 2019 because of the, or, you know, 2020 because of COVID in the season, you know, probably that was the year to make a run, but he's always got an extremely talented roster and there always seems to be a mini collapse towards the end of the season, not a full blown collapse, but a mini collapse towards the end of the season. Yeah, and, you know, it was interesting talking to Cole about it just to kind of hear a little bit of the inside track on things. And I do think the facilities conversation is real. And I was happy to hear him allude to the fact that there are some gears working to getting some facilities upgrades because I think they fight that. I think they fight that in recruiting no different than you would in football. And look at the alteration in Georgia's facilities and what that's done for recruiting and national profile and all those things, right? So I think that's real and that needs to be addressed. Um, And kind of like Cole and I talked about, I don't understand how you can be the state institution for Georgia with all the baseball talent that is in that state and not be a perennial top 15 baseball program. Like that has to be fixed, whether that's things we do on the administrative side or whether that's getting more out of the talent, whatever it is, right? Combination of all those things. The, the baseball program has got to get on the upper level. There's too much good going for it to not be there. So, man, I'm hoping they kind of put it together and make a little roll. I felt great about them stealing that Saturday game, that last game of the three-game set against Tennessee, and really thought they were going to roll into the home set to end the year with some momentum. And, dude, that Missouri team is not great. And they got the doors blown off Thursday and Friday and had to really have a miraculous comeback Saturday to steal one of three. So it was, I was a little disappointed in that, but I'm hoping they make a run this weekend or this week. We'll see how they start. I think they start off early. I think they're nine 30 first pitch in the morning. So 
Get it up early, boys. Get it rolling. Get that pre-workout in. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, um, all right. Well, we'll start touching base more regularly now as we're kind of getting into the interlude of things. There'll be some more stuff happening. We'll have some more stuff to talk about. I still want to do a Smart 16 episode with the two of us. We taped one, and then we weren't recording, so we have all the blabber out there and no recording, so we'll have to do that again so we can put that on the record. And then we have to do – we had talked about uh, the prompt they had on the Andy Staples show about five chain restaurants for the rest of your life. So I think next episode, that's what we'll do too. We will have our, we will steal that prompt from the Andy Stable show because it's a phenomenal prompt and we will name our chains. I think we should do it draft style like they did. Like not just you and me picking in a vacuum, but like we pick and if you take one, that's off my list, which kind of, we're going to have to not be jerks about it because we each know what our list is, but. Okay. So are so then we're drafting our top first. So that way, okay, I like that. Yeah. I like- so like your number one choice has to go one or I can come in and swipe it. Okay. I like that. I like that. Yeah. So we'll have I have 10 chains. Which one of the two's list was just absolutely abysmal? Uh, Ari. Ari. What is his name? Ari uh, Wasserman. Is that his yeah. co-host? Uh, it was just, one. it was, I mean, a horrendous list. Like, I'd hate to know what he actually eats that's not fast food. Well, here's the thing, though. They were kind of, I got, I'll have to go back and listen again because I felt like they were kind of twisting some of the mechanics of it because they're like, well, it was a big factor in choosing places that served alcohol. And I was like, well, why? <laughs> Just drink at home or like go to a non chain and have your drinks. Like, well, one of them was Domino's. Since when does Domino's serve alcohol? No, I think it was more they when they were getting to like the Cheesecake Factory oh, oh, oh. and, um, because who did, uh, who did Andy pick? He, oh, he picked Texas Roadhouse, which phenomenal pick. Slow clap for that pick. Your boy is a big time Texas Roadhouse advocate. But I think part of the thrust for him having that pick was they serve booze. And so, like, I guess that was part of the mechanics. I, I did that never even crossed my mind. What did no, I tell you? I got I, I, I to have a place that serves breakfast and I got to have a place that serves ice cream. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm more about the food. So, yeah, same. All right. Well, we'll marinate on that. And that's what we get. We'll have that coming next time too so okay all right buddy it's good to see you the beard is in mid-season form right now yeah and i actually had to trim it up a little bit for an interview but it's uh it's 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 growing back slowly but surely yeah that thing is that thing's world class that's an all sec beard right there homie (laughs) so my goal is to get it down like uh like old big ben cleveland used to have it like down to like you know mid chest yeah i'm I'm good with that yeah i'm good with that all right, brother. Well, until next week, go dogs, sick them. Go dogs. Hey, George is better now. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.